Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. Read a headline this morning when I was looking through some stuff, and um, I, I would say it stopped me cold. That's a bad pun. It was not intended to be, but here's the headline. Winter is coming, and the cost of heating your home could shoot up 30%, analysts warn. Let me go down and read you a line or two out of this. While the price of natural gas has already doubled in the past year, energy analysts say it could be shooting up another 30% in the next few months, pushed by cooler weather and Russia shutting off the taps to European consumers. Patrick DeHaan is head of petroleum analysis with GasBuddy.com. He joins us now. Patrick, how are you today? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Uh, I read this, and uh, and I'm sure a lot of people hearing this are like, oh, you've got to be kidding me. Uh, I mean, this is... I know we're only into the earliest days of maybe fall, but uh, this is, again, pardon the bad pun, this is chilling to hear that this is what we could be facing. Well, it certainly is. Uh, It's already been a very trying last couple of years navigating the pandemic, um, only to see a recovery. And and now this. Uh, Natural gas prices uh, at one point here between last year and, and just here in the last few weeks are up 80%. And so without a doubt, we are going to be seeing Canadians spending far more to heat their homes. Uh, Natural gas is the bright spot. And those that are using heating oil or or bunker oil uh, are going to see even a higher cost. So uh, we have seen natural gas prices coming down slightly, but that's the bright spot. An 80% increase, the price of heating oil up even more than that. Okay, let me ask you the dumbest of all questions. This is going to be the dumbest question you get all day, okay? But I've heard this from a number of people, so some of us out there are just not getting it. We are sitting in Canada on massive amounts of natural gas, natural oil, whatever else. How come, I understand maybe that we don't transport it around the world because we haven't built pipelines, but how in the world can we in Canada not at least be getting a deal on the cost of our heating gas and oil? Because you're subject to the global markets, just like the U.S. is. You are not fenced off. Part of the reason why you have so many uh, so many, or so much production of oil and things like natural gas is because producers ha- haven't been incentivized by the market prices for those. If Canada was fenced off, you would have rich resources that were not being brought to the surface because there's less incentive to do that. So you know lower prices means less incentive for companies to bring that to the market and when prices go up there's much more incentive and you know it's 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 the system we have uh part of the reason why uh natural gas in the u.s now the largest producer of natural gas is so high is because prices have gone up and continued to spur investment and exploration um but the other part of the reason i think especially true in canada and the u.s is politics that is, politicians have decided that uh, they want to get in the way of the free market by limiting the ability for companies to bring these products to the market. Um, of course, the ESG movement, environmental social governance, is likely behind part of the reason why not all of this is being brought to the market, and that's keeping prices higher. So does that mean that even though it seems antithetical but if we're pumping more gas if we had more pipelines and we're sending more oil and gas offshore that would actually bring our prices down here in the country well the more that's being fed to the global market the more prices will be will be coming down now part of the problem too behind this story is that russia one of the world's largest producers of things like 
natural gas, LNG, oil, is fighting a war in Ukraine. And the Western response has been to basically shove the products that Russia is offering the market back at them. Of course, in the interim, countries like the European Union and, and Germany and France are no longer or trying to wean themselves off that Russian supply. But that also means that there's more demand for that Canadian uh, natural gas, that Canadian oil that is making it to the market. And that uh, that reverberates and causes prices to be higher. Now, countries that are ignoring uh, Moscow's invasion of Ukraine, like China and India, are benefiting from the fact that nobody wants that oil, that Russian oil and natural gas, and they're buying it very cheap. But the cost of doing the right thing is something that we are bearing. And that's that's the problem here, is that we are penalizing Russia by sanctioning that energy and trying to inflict damage on their economy, which is taking hold, but it also means we have to pay more because there's less supply that we're willing to accept. A number of months ago, I can't remember exactly how long you probably do, uh, President Biden released a whole bunch of reserves to try and get gas prices down at the pumps. And I know in Canada that our reserves are down. Is that also impacting on it when there's less reserves sitting there to tap into? Well, that certainly has been uh, key in helping, helping to balance markets that were thrown out of balance when Western countries like the U.S. and and Canada sanctioned Russia. It's not enough to completely offset what Russia produces, but the fact that the U.S. uh, and other developed countries have been releasing reserves has basically acted to price how much prices go up. Uh, That is, they aren't actively pushing prices down so much as they are making more supply uh, supply available, which will likely keep prices in check. You mentioned politics. I I think that's uh, it's impossible not to bring up politics with this. Um, Let us say that there was to be a different thought process in politics in this country. It doesn't happen overnight, though. I mean, are we even if there was to be a change, how many years away would we be from some of this situation being resolved Mm -hmm. where? we're not quite as, well, I don't know, I, I won't go into the details because, but how, how long away would it take to try and resolve some of these issues? Probably many years. Um, and, and you know, that's if things went well. Um, you know, it, 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 even, if, even if oil and gas producers were, giving, were given, you know, 100% green light by every politician in Canada, they still have to then spend the money, explore and bring that product to market. And that is something that you just can't accelerate. You know, it's a, it's a very time consuming process. So it could still take five to 10 years of full investment in Canada's oil and natural gas for that to yield enough fruit to offset what the Western countries are sanctioning Russia with. Do you think that happens? And, and when I say that, do you think that happens? Obviously we know that certain parties are very much opposed to any further expansion of natural gas or anything. But when people start to be hit in the pocketbook and politicians start to hear it from their people who are voting for them, do you think anything changes? I think we'll start to look at those changes. And I, I, especially in Europe where, right, Europe arguably has been ahead of even Canada and the U.S. in making these changes. And look where it's led them down a path that they've been 100% reliant now on Russia, and that has put them in a box. Uh, Canada's natural resources can unlock a fierce amount of options and, and security. It can secure your own country, but 
that has not been tapped. And so uh, politicians may start to look at it differently. There's obviously been a lot said about, uh, about the environment and the concern there, and I understand that. Whether the answer is nuclear or in the short term, using Canada's natural gas and using resources to help, uh, to help push democracy is certainly a possibility. That is, if Canada was in position, cities and investments had been five or 10 years ago, Canada may have been able to offset Russia in terms of its energy dominance and basically given, a, given Europe a way out of its energy dependence on Russia. And this, this situation could be much more short-lived if Russia was forced to exit Ukraine because of the pressure that Canada being able to replace it offered. It would have been an immensely different storyline. Patrick Dehon, uh, head of petroleum analysis for gasbuddy.com. Always appreciate taking a few minutes. Thank you for doing this. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Headline today. We're talking about headlines. We're talking about, we just talked about home heating. Here's another one. Bank of Canada's aggressive rate hike risks plunging the economy into recession, costing hundreds of thousands of jobs, economists warn. Uh, the Bank of Canada today raised its rate by three quarters of a point, and it's up to uh, it's the fifth rate hike of the year. The whole point behind this is to try and get it under control, to get re- inflation under control. However, as the headline suggests, there could be a backlash on this one in the form of a recession. Ian Lee is a professor with the Sprott School of Business. We always love when Ian joins us. Ian, how are you this evening? I'm doing very well, thanks, Scott. This... Um, you know, we were just talking about the home heating costs for the winter being depressing. Uh, this this is no less depressing. I mean, this this sounds like a damned if you do, damned if you don't scenario. You're absolutely right. And it's showing that there is no free lunch. That's not a cliche. We are facing a choice. And for those who say, no, 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 don't increase the interest rates. Well, then, okay. Then you're saying we're going to let inflation ride on up because it it has been escalating steadily for a year and a half, two years. And we know from past recessions, past economic cycles, I'm going all the way back to, you know, the the 70s, when I was working in the Bank of Montreal as a mortgage manager, we know that the single most effective tool, painful as it is, and yes, it is painful, not going to sugarcoat it, we know the most uh, effective tool to address Inflation, when it gets out of the bottle and gets out of hand, is rising interest rates. So we've got a choice. We literally have a choice. Anyone who says, anyone who says, oh no no no, we can just we don't have to use interest rates at all. We can and and we can still control inflation, is is peddling snake oil. In fact, Turkey tried this just this last year. The president, no less, said, no, I don't buy that theory about rising interest rates. So he ordered his central bank. Don't you raise interest rates? And the inflation has risen all the way up to 60%. I'm not suggesting we're going to 60%. What I'm saying is that the relationship between inflation and, and interest rates are very clear. Hmm. So if, if we want to really get inflation back in the bottle, get it down to two, then we're going to have to have short-term pain for long-term gain. And that means higher interest rates. And one more quick point, Scott. When sure. people talk about these high interest rates, Let's not be funny. I lived through rates that hit 20, 2-0. So when people say the central bank's up to 3.25, this is laughably low by historic standards 
in our country. Yeah, by historic standards, we've grown very used to much less than that. So psychologically, yeah. perhaps we're now seeing this. But um, okay, so here there are a number of analysts, and every look, every analyst has their own opinion and their own yeah, position yeah, yeah. they're coming from. Sure. Uh, one of them, David McDonald, senior economist at the Canadian Center for Policy Alternatives. Um, he's estimated up to 850,000 people could lose their jobs if we head into the kind of recession he thinks we might because of these interest rates. Whether his numbers are right or not, the I issue is... completely wrong, by the way. Okay, okay, why? Because we've never had a recession where we've lost 800,000 jobs. There's okay. one, one good answer. I'll give you a second answer. We have a million jobs unfilled. A million. We are in a different world. I've said to the House of Commons in March, the House of Commons Finance Committee, I, was, I testified I was invited. And they didn't like it because I was criticizing the Liberals and the Conservatives and the NDP. And I said, you're living like it's 1972 or 1982 or 1992. All through from the 70s through 2020, we lived through a world of high unemployment, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12%, depending on the year and depending on the economic cycle. And the parliamentarians and David McDonald are still, they still think it's that world that we lived in for the last 50 years of high unemployment. We have moved into a completely different world, and it's not for one year. The IMF, the OECD, Finance Canada, Staff Canada, every demographic forecasting agency says we are going to be experiencing massive labor shortages for the next 30, 40 years. Hmm. And so this what I'm trying to say is that this nonsense, and it's just, it's just, it's, it's the, you know, it's, you know, Napoleon said that generals, the problem with generals is they always fight the last war. And this is a good example of that where economists, forecasters like David, and I know David, by the way, he's a smart guy. So are these MPs. They're decent, honorable people. But they still think that we're in the 70s, 80s, 90s when we had these very large numbers of high unemployment, literally double digits sometimes. We are not in that world anymore. It has left us behind. So, Ian, okay, so for many people, when they hear the word recession, the first thing they think about is jobs lost because of yes, that. So if we're, if we're not facing the possibility then of the same kind of recession that we've had before and job losses, right. there are lots of jobs out there, what then is the downside of a recession to us? Is, is it something I, we should be less concerned about then? I am a contrarian in this, and I'm hoping, and I'm hoping other economists or uh, other policy analysts will start uh, picking up on this idea I'm expressing, and it's based on hard reality, hard data, and that is everywhere, everywhere in this country there are labor shortages. There's labor shortages in the emergency rooms. There's labor shortages. I'm dealing with contractors, and contractor after contractor tells me I can't find any workers. The, uh, hospitals are short. Every industry is short. My point that I'm making is this. Because we're in a very, very different world, we don't realize that the world has changed so much. The last of the boomers, there's a third left of all the boomers still in the workforce. They're going to be gone, gone, totally gone in the next five years. And the birth rate in our country has collapsed. It's down to 1.4, yep. yep. way below break-even. This is not, a lot of people say, oh, so it's just COVID, and when COVID goes away, all these problems go away with shortages. Nonsense on stilts. No serious person looking at the number says that. So let me get back to the recession argument. I am not predicting there's going to be a recession next year, but I'm not ruling it out. What I am going to say to you is this. The next recession that comes along is going to look way different 
How? How? What will it look like? Far less unemployed people. You can. Well, I'm predicting you're going to see a situation where you could have negative GDP growth, which is a recession, two quarters of negative GDP growth. Everyone knows that. Coupled with almost no job loss. Where employ- so why would they do such a thing? Because employers have, are going through hell, hell right now for the last two years. They can't get workers. I know restaurants that are closing their menus and closing for breakfast or lunch because they don't have workers. So what I am suggesting to you is that every employer out there is in the next downturn is going to say, if I've got the resources in my business, if I have enough cash flow or resources, I'm going to keep people on my payroll even though I don't have business for them because I know if I lay them off, I'll never get them back. So what I'm saying is employers, entrepreneurs are not stupid. They're very innovative and they're very adaptive. And they're going to say, you know what, I'm going to take a hit for six months, eight months, because recessions historically don't run that long. I've got the data going from the Bank of Canada and the U.S. They run an average of 12 to 14 months. Okay, so I think that employers, as we saw in this last recession, called the pandemic recession, I don't think it was, but if you look at the, the Economist magazine, wrote a cover story on this, they called it the 90-10 recession. They said 90% of the people in the economy, this was UK data, did not get laid off. Only 10% did. In our country, in the last three years, during the pandemic, the unemployment went up to 15% because the government told everybody to go home. So then you'd think, well, then we've all lost our jobs, right? Not one single professor was laid off. Not one single public servant was laid off. Not one no. big banker was laid off. What I'm saying is, yes, it hit some industries, and we know what they were. Restaurants, bars, um, uh, exercise uh, uh, places. So about 15% of the economy was vulnerable to layoffs and were. This idea there's going to be 800,000 layoffs is nonsense. So should we then, we only have 30 seconds, should the Bank of Canada then be even more aggressive and say, well, then let's go up by a point and really then crush this thing because we're not so worried about the job losses? I won't predict the rate, but in the very last sentence of today's report, they said further increases are necessary if we want to get inflation down to 2%. Hmm. Otherwise, if it becomes embedded, we're going to be dealing with inflation for a very long time to come, and it is far more destructive. Uh, I believe, and others believe. So, yes, we're going to see more interest rate increases. I don't, they're not going to come close to 8 or 9 or 10 or 12 or 14%, but they could go into the, I think they'll go into the fours. And fours are still very low by the historic norm of interest rates in Canada or U.S. or U.K. These are not high, uh, astronomically high rates. These are very low rates. Uh, we're not going to see the kind that we've seen in past uh, economic cycles where they went up much, much higher. I got my very first mortgage at 10.5% in 1977, and I thought it was a bargain rate. Hmm. Uh, Ian Lee from the Sprott School of Business. See, we bring him on because we knew he was going to bring the optimism after the heating talk we had a moment ago, and, and that was depressing. So, Ian, thank you so much for this. Really appreciate the time. My pleasure. Thanks very much, Scott. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. So we have in recent months, recent years, had a number of situations where an artist, musician, actor, or visual artist, whatever, have been accused of some rather horrendous, upsetting things. I don't have to go through the full list. You can think of the ones that register and resonate with you. You'll, You'll remember that one. 
Well, now we have another one. A very successful Canadian band, Arcade Fire. Now their singer is accused of some sexual misconduct. Now it's 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 a tricky one because this is there's an age gap. It's a talk about power differential. Um, I'm, I'm not sure, although I don't know that it really matters. I'm not sure they have accused this person of flat out sexual assault. It's, it's a, it's a, anyway, it's, it's, you know, it's the, it's the stuff that really is troubling in our society that you hear about. And now the question is, what do you do with that? What do you do with an artist, with the music, with their movie, with their TV, whatever? What do you do when the person is accused of something that we find upsetting, reprehensible, wrong, whatever else? Can you still, in good conscience, listen to their music? Should radio stations ban their music? Should they be innocent until proven guilty? And therefore, we're going to play the music as we normally would until we figure out what's going on. It may take years. What do we do? Uh, Alan Cross has written about this. Alan Cross writes about music. He is an outstanding music writer. Everything he writes is always good for thought-provoking internal debate and that kind of thing. Uh, this one, what do we do about a problem like Win Butler? You can find it on Global News. He joins us now. Alan, how are you today? I'm good. I'm good. So, okay, what do we do about a problem like Win Butler? Win Butler plays in Arcade Fire. As I say, he's been accused of these things. Let's start with you. Before we get into what should we do, you personally, when you hear about an artist who gets accused of this, whether it's him or someone else, what do you do? Well, it depends on how we hear about it. If it is some anonymous social media postings, then you have to wonder, okay, is there a due process that is being uh, circumvented here? Because these things can ruin careers. I mean, we can look back and see what happened to Matt Good when uh, an ex of his started posting stuff online and then a bunch of other people chimed in and sort of corroborated this. But it, it never really went anywhere because nobody came forward in public and, and filed charges or anything like that. But in the meantime, um, you know, Matt lost his manager, he lost his record deal. He uh, had his records uh, pulled from radio stations. Uh, he couldn't play live. It was It was a pretty... You know, it was a pretty severe bit of punishment. Then we have the situation like Michael Jackson, where uh-huh. there have been numerous trials. There have been stories of hush money payouts and a whole bunch of other things. You know, what do we do about Michael Jackson? It who was never who was never convicted, by the way. Never but convicted. But all those other things. Of all those, yes. And, you know, horrendous, you know, child, uh, child, uh, what do we want to call it? Uh, exploitation. Abuse. Child sure. abuse, child exploit, yeah, exploitation, whatever, yeah. So in, in that particular case, you know, we, you know, it was very, very public. There were the documentaries on HBO and so on. And the debate became whether or not you can separate the art from the artist. You know, Michael Jackson's music is beloved by millions and millions of people around the world. Yes, in his personal life, he may have done this, but his music is great. We have to separate the art from the artist. We see this a lot. Can it be done? And, and today, I'm not sure that enough people are willing to do that. Um, in the case of Arcade Fire, you know, Will has admitted to doing some things that were outside his marriage, but he, cons- he says that they were consensual. Uh, the people that have come forward... Um, 
all are, have chosen to come forward under assumed names to avoid any sort of backlash. And, you know, it, it's weird. This plays out in the court of social media, and the rest of us are trying to figure out, well, what's, what's the right thing to do? So that's a really long explanation or a really long answer to, to your question. Uh, I don't know what we do. This is, this is territory that's, that's really tricky. You want to believe the victims, but at the same time, you, you know, there is a due process thing that many people will call for. Um, it becomes a he said, she said situation. And I, I guess the only thing anyone can do is, if you don't know, follow their conscience, what do you believe is the right thing to do for, for you? Boy, and that's, 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 that's really wimpy, uh, really wimpy. No, no, no. It's, it's, it's that complicated, but so, okay. So that was the question about what do you do for you? And I, I, I applaud the, you know, the honest answer about not really sure, because it is really difficult. And, and honestly, I would think that most people, Alan, listening to this, if they were going to be 100% honest when they answer the question for themselves, the answer probably will have something to do with how much of a fan are you of a certain artist who, you know, if there's a band that is your all-time favorite band, you may be more likely to give benefit of the doubt to the artist than if it's someone you just listen to occasionally. You go, okay, they're out. Um, yeah. You know, these are all things that factor in. Yeah, I was stopped on the street twice this week by people asking, you know, what should I do? I've got tickets to the show. I like their music. What should I do? You know, my, my answer is, you know, you know, vote with your conscience. Um, because I, I, you know, in the case of Jacob Hoggarts uh, and the... Great example. Uh, ...guy from, from, from Headley, you know, he was charged, and he was brought before the court, and he had to answer for what he was accused of and he was ultimately convicted um okay that's one thing um who else uh jean Gameshi, same same sort of situation brought for the court you know and that was handled that way uh in in the in the social media world you know people will will immediately jump to conclusions um against both the accuser and the accusees so nothing really gets gets solved other than it creates a tremendous amount of turmoil for an awful lot of people with no real sense of closure and justice on either side. So it's 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 so difficult in this social media driven world, which is really what the situation is here. It's all about accusations made social media or online in, an, in many cases, uh, anonymously. Like, you know, the, the whole point of, of any sort of um, trial in the, the traditional sense is for the accused to face their accuser. In this case, you can't. Uh, you're facing you know, the whole world simultaneously. Whole world. And, and people will jump to conclusions based on, you know, whatever their personal position is. So it's... Wow. Right, and Arcade uh, Fire right now, Arcade Fire right now, like as I say, we don't know, nobody, well, a couple people know, uh, the singer and the women who are making the allegations. That's who knows what actually happened. But the rest of us don't know. If it turns out that the allegations are not accurate, Arcade Fire doesn't matter. They are essentially, for most people, for many people, they are toast. They're, they're, they're done as a band. For other people, um, maybe not so much, but if these allegations are true and those people get, let the, let it slide because they said, well, he wouldn't do something like that, then then they're totally wrong. There are huge implications for how people react to these things. And we tend to react instantly now. 
Okay, so here, here's the situation with Arcade Fire. Will Butler or Win Butler has, uh, has 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 basically said, yeah, this this happened, but I believe them to be consensual. I acknowledge that I hurt these people. Uh, I'm truly sorry for it. Um, and now what? What is the appropriate punishment? What is the appropriate sentence? What is the appropriate censure? Uh, you know, and, and for some people, it's 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 nothing less than full out 100 percent cancellation. And uh, the other end of the spectrum, it's like it's it's that artist and art separation argument. So uh, it's it's these things are, are are not going away. They are going to become more and more common. And the moment we start we start picking at the scab of the bad behavior that goes on in the music industry, it it's going to get really really ugly. I mean, we should go back. We can go back to the 1970s when. Jimmy Page and Led Zeppelin was on tour with a 14-year-old girl named Lori Max. All kinds of allegations about uh, underage groupies with people like David Bowie and Mick Jagger and, and, and so on. Uh, this is a, a world where bad behavior is uh, tolerated and encouraged, and people turn a blind eye to it. It is why a lot of people get into this business. It is also why a lot of people... Uh, end up doing bad things because they're in a bubble and nobody is there to tell them no or they have an inflated sense of who they are and what they can get away with it's it's it, it there, there's it, we've been due for a reckoning a me too reckoning in the music industry for a very long time but the moment you start picking at the scabs i mean it gets it gets pretty it gets harvey weinstein pretty quickly well, yeah, and so uh, as you're talking about this, uh, and this is, it was fiction, the thing that came to mind, I was thinking of the movie Almost Famous, um, mm-hmm. which, you know, a great behind-the-scenes look, again, fictional, but at the rock and roll lifestyle. You can quickly imagine to uh, extrapolate that, and as you say, you start putting names there. We could probably end up with 50, 60, 70 bands where some of the stuff that, we, if we heard about it, we'd say, oh, I'm not sure by today's standards. I'm not sure that I'm okay with that. That's like, as I say, big name bands, and I'm not accusing anyone. I'm just saying, I, you know, based on what, how we behave today and what was maybe seen as okay in that world years ago, uh, we could have a ton of bands wiped off the face of the earth. Whether that's a bad thing, I don't know, but all that music could suddenly be unplayable. It's it's really interesting because, you know, you know, the the Arcade Fire situation um, basically has come to light in the Me Too era, so there's no excuse for that kind of behavior because you knew what the situation was out in society. You knew that uh, cell phones have cameras, and you knew that uh, people have audio recordings, and people will communicate on text and email and all that sort of stuff. So there's no excuse. <laughs> you could you will get caught. Back in those days, um, there was no surveillance. It was uh, unless there was something that was brought to the attention of the police and the police chose to act on it, nothing ever happened. Um, And you can't, you know, if if we look at what happened back in the day through the lens of of today's um, standards, I mean, we've evolved. I mean, we we just don't. I, I would like to think that we've evolved, and we just we don't behave that way uh, any anymore. But you can't look at stuff happened. It's it's difficult to look at stuff in the past through the lens of of today and 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 make uh, the same you know uh, valid judgments. 
Well, let's, let's look at, I mean, look, we're, we're talking about artists. We're talking about musicians. I don't know that we need to restrict it to that. How many, if you were to take the same application, what do you do about maybe politicians who did really good things for their country, their province, their state, their city, but in retrospect did something horrible? Do we say what they did has to be wiped out? Because that's, that's as close a comparison as we have. What about an athlete? I'm sure there's tons of athletes that you could do point to this and say, what do we do with, do we take all their records away? Do we never show their highlights anymore? Because like Robbie Alomar, do we, do we essentially say you don't exist anymore and anything you did, we're not going to replay that. Uh, painters, artists, like actual artists, the, some of the crazy people who did amazing artwork, um, actors. Mm-hmm. There is so much stuff that could be wiped off the face of the earth that we cannot in good conscience look at, listen to, watch if we were to go right down this path and apply it to everybody. It makes it very yeah. difficult. You know, let's let's go to Hollywood. Uh, I'm in the middle of uh, a book called Hollywood Ending by Ken Oletta, who talks about everything that was happening with Harvey Weinstein. And it is just gut-wrenching to read this. And the, you know, what's as, as, as dis, almost as disturbing as the acts by the people that perpetrated these, these offenses is the culture of silence uh, around them. People tolerated or turned a blind eye or refused to believe or didn't act. So it's, it becomes metastasized from the person who did the bad stuff to all the people around them. And, okay, and then where do we go from there? Who should be censored? Who should be punished? Who should be sentenced in, in, in those circles? It's, it's so complicated and it's such a minefield that even having you know, a mildly contrary opinion to you know, cancellation can get you canceled. <laughs> it's, 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 uh, without going too far down a hole, it, everything becomes part of a personal decision as you weigh what you need to do to live with your, to live with yourself when, when something like this happens. That's, that's and then the there's, only, only thing I can, I can offer up. And then there's the discussion of, is there a punitive time frame? Like, okay, yeah. so. If the arcade fire, if, you know, if he says, uh, you know what? Yeah. Okay. I, I'm sorry. I hurt these people. I'm going to go away. And then in five years, if he comes back, do we say, you know what? You've served a significant enough penalty that we think we can move on. I mean, we saw that with, um, Louis CK. All right. Yeah. He's back doing specials now. I don't know what the af- appropriate time frame is for someone who did something that a lot of people went, are you kidding me? Um, but he's back doing it now and apparently people are listening and, and so, I mean, I don't know, does it just mean you go away for a little while and then we can just wipe the slate clean? I, I don't know what you do with that. I, I don't know either. Some people are able to do that. Some people are not. John Gomeshi has not been able to do it. No. Uh, um, Louis C.K., you know, yes, absolutely. Uh, Harvey Weinstein, not going to happen because he's going to end up in jail, um, for, for a very long time. So you know, and, you know, people love second act stories. People love to, you know, comebacks. People love all these other sorts of things. Again, how does how does Michael Jackson, you know, come back from the damning accusations that dogged him for decades? Yet, you know, he's, you know, this in November, we're going to get a big 40th anniversary of the release of the Thriller album. Uh, and there's going to be lots of celebrations about Michael Jackson, the musician, and and. You know the, the the bad stuff that he may have done will be swept away. It's 
I, I don't know, and I don't think anybody knows the answer because this is such a fractured situation hmm. when anybody what? is ever accused of, of inappropriate behavior. Let me throw one more at you before we have to go. Okay, Michael Jackson, another a great example. He's got this album coming out, everything. Um, you can point to JFK. You could point to all kinds of others who died. They are gone. Therefore, does dying absolve you of all your sins? And therefore, the moment the person dies, even if you have ethical doubts, it becomes okay to listen to their stuff again because now they're not around to know you're listening to it. It's possible, but then there's also the people behind the estate who look to re, uh, rehabilitate the dead person's reputation so they can continue to make money off that person's work. That would be the case with Michael Jackson. That would be the case with Whitney Houston. That would be the case with a ton of other people. Yeah, it is, it is, um, it is just such a complicated thing to try and figure out. And ultimately, I think what ends up happening is um, a lot of people will maybe not play the stuff in public, but when they're in their car alone or something, they will still do it. But I don't know. I don't know. It's 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 a it's a great piece. I would encourage people to go read it. It's on Global News. You can find it there. You can also find it through a Journal of Musical Things, which is Alan's website. What do we do about a problem like Win Butler, uh, yeah. a real thinker? Yeah. Appreciate you doing this. Thank you. Okay, you're very welcome. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.